We're starting a new series today. We just got finished with our mental health series. And so we're starting a series. We're doing it also in students. So it's cool because I kind of get to do almost like the same message except this week. I think this is the only week it's different in both. But then next week it'll be like the same message in both. So it'll be cool. Um, But it's called hashtag asking for a friend. And what our hope is, is that we're going to take some of these tough questions of the Christian faith that people are asking kind of with this phrase that they used to do on social media. I don't think it's as big now, but um, kind of like, hey, I'm asking for a friend, but really I want to know. Um, so we're, we're going to try to tackle some of these questions. Some of them you may not already know some answers to. Some of them might be new. I know in weeks to come we're going to get into some tough ones that, that I'm excited about to have the conversation. Things like, is abortion ever okay? Can I be uh, gay and a Christian? So all these questions we're going to dive into later down the road. Um, today... Uh, might be a little lighter, so hopefully that'll be good for you. What if I doubt? We want to ask that question. What if I doubt? Can we doubt? What does it look like to doubt? Because it feels like sometimes I think as Christians, we, we have this idea of doubting, and we're like, well, we can't doubt because God's God, so he can do anything. So if we doubt, then we're really like kind of discrediting God. And so how do we work through this question? And so I, I think it'll be good to talk about this question. I think it's been good for me to process this question too, because I've had this question a lot. But but I think in our culture, when we talk about something like doubt, it's because we're people that have to see in order to believe something. So I, I remember there was this game, and some of you might remember, it was when I was probably a junior in high school, maybe a sophomore, so if you're a little older, you might not remember. But there was this game there for a while that was very popular called Flappy Bird. <laughs> Flappy Bird. Everybody was playing it, it seemed like. And so basically, if you've never heard of the game, it was this little game that you were a bird and it like fell down the screen if you didn't tap and there was like these tubes that you had to make the bird through and you just, that's all you did. You keep tapping the screen, make them go up, go down through these tubes. And so it was like the big thing in high school and I remember talking to people all the time, seeing people play in study hall. And so we started playing kind of with our friend group. So we had a friend group, about five or six of us. And so we started playing and we were always very competitive. And so we kind of were telling each other and so you know, it started out, I remember when the one of my buddies first got it, he was like, man, I got seven. So that's the high score. You got seven. And so then I'd hear like 10 and then 15, 25, 30. And then at one point, I, I got really into it. Every night, this is my routine. I would go down. It was about eight o'clock. And I would um, grab my little tablet, a huge tablet like this. Um, and I would turn it sideways. And so I'd go grab my tablet, make sure it was fully charged, go sit. And I had one of those like recliners in our room. And so I'd go sit in the recliner. And for two hours before I went to bed, that's all I did. Sat down there and I played the game. I don't care if I got five one time and then ten the next time and then five again. I just sit down there and play. So I play that forever for like two hours, you know. And so then one night I got like a hundred. I was like, this is great. Okay, so I tell everybody, hey, I got a hundred. And I'm like, okay, I doubt anybody's going to beat that. No way. Not possible. Get a text from my friend literally a couple days later. He says, yeah, I got 268. I'm like, okay, I need to see this. So he sends me a picture. It's 268. I said, okay. So I swear for the next probably three months, that's all I did. I'm like, I have to break this. There's no way I'm going to let him beat me because he beats me at everything. He's just good at video games because he's kind of introverted. So that's all he likes to do is play games and stuff. So he's just good at them. So I just, I grind it for the next week. So I'm down in my room. I got the tablet. I'm going hours and hours. My brother's got the light off. He's sleeping in bed. We shared a room. He's like, please just turn that thing off. I'm tired of hearing the little noise it makes every time you hit it. And then when you lose the game, he said, please just go to sleep. And so then I start playing with headphones. I'm like, I'll solve that problem. I'll just stay up and I'll play with headphones so you can't hear it. So I just kept playing, and then there was the run. There was the run. I remember sitting there, and I'm there in the chair, and I'm going. 
and I get 100. I'm like, okay, we're on to something. We're 200. I start, you know, you start getting those little beads of sweat going down on your head, and you're shaking a little. You're like, okay, we got 200. We're on to something. We're passing 300, and I'm like, oh boy, like we're not just beating it. We're going way past it. So I keep going, and I'm starting to shake a little. My brother finally gets up because he sees me, and he's like, man, you're on to something here. So he's watching over the side. Now I got an audience watching, and I'm still going. I'm still going, passing 400. And I'm like, ooh, dude, we're going to go all the way. And I made it to 458, and I died. And I remember it was like I set the tablet down, and I'm like shaking like this because it was just so intense. I'm sweating everywhere. I'm up just yelling, and I, I immediately take the picture. I wish I still had the picture of that score, and I sent it immediately to this guy, and I said, ha, beat that. And I think he tried for a little while, and he never got close. But I was so excited, and there was this doubt in my mind that there's no way I'm going to beat this. But then in the back of my mind, there wasn't a true doubt that there's no way I'm never going to beat this. There was like, okay, I doubt I'm going to beat it, but I think I could, kind of in my mindset. Once he saw that for him, there was no way. He's like, not, I'm not even trying. Like he, got, he gets to the point when he plays games that if you win too much, he just doesn't try. He's like, I, I'm done. I don't want to play anymore. I'll just be like, you, you got 458, you have it, I'm done, I'm not even trying. But, but I, I just walked into this every day and I was like, okay, I want to beat this. I don't think I can, but I still think there's a possibility. And so that's the kind of doubt that I was wrestling with. I don't think I can, but I'm going to try, and then eventually I get there. And I think many times that's how we are in our culture when it comes to this doubt is, is we're like, okay, I don't think we can, but, but maybe I can, but yet at the same time, I don't know, maybe I'll just give up. And it's hard as we look around and we look at this past year and we go, okay, you know, how am I not supposed to doubt God when we just went through something like COVID and maybe I lost a loved one? How am I supposed to trust God if I, if I lose somebody like that? How am I supposed to trust God, not doubt God if I just had somebody go to rehab, get out of rehab and overdose and die? How am, I supposed, how am I supposed to trust God on that? How am I supposed to trust God if the bills are due today and I've got $100 in the bank account and I don't know how I'm going to pay it? How am I supposed to not doubt God if I feel like I'm pursuing after Jesus, I'm all in on this relationship and all I want is somebody to do life with and I can't find anybody? I think we get in our mindset that it's like we look at all these things around us and all these different situations and we go, how am I not supposed to doubt God if all this stuff is happening? Well, hopefully I can answer that question to the best of my ability, but I will tell you that doubt is going to be present when faith is. Doubt is always going to be there when faith is because faith is this idea of believing in things unseen in a conviction of things hoped for. So it's this idea that I can't see them, but I'm going to believe it's there, and that I hope this will happen even though I don't know if it will happen. Okay, so it's kind of a confusing thing, but when faith's there, we're, we're believing in something we can't see. So doubt is immediately going to begin to rise because we're people that have to see in order to believe. So doubt easily creeps in. And so the question becomes, what if I doubt? Isn't it okay to doubt? Is it wrong to doubt? So I'm going to pack this idea with two different stories that you, if we're going to doubt, we need to doubt with faith. Doubt with faith. Okay? So I know these are some long little stories. We're going to take you to the Christmas story, getting close to Christmas, in Luke chapter 1. But I want to show you two different scenarios 
as we look at the best ways when we're looking at doubt, how do we doubt with faith? And so the first story is here in Luke chapter 1, verse 8 through 13. This is the story of Zechariah, and it says this. I'll try to read it all quickly and without slurring words and skipping words. One day, Zechariah's priestly order was on duty, and he was serving as priest. He was chosen by casting lots according to the custom of the priesthood. So the honor fell upon Zechariah to enter the holy place and burn incense before the Lord. A large crowd of worshipers had gathered to pray outside the temple at the hour when incense was being offered. All at once, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was startled and overwhelmed with fear, but the angel reassured him, saying, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God is showing grace to you, for I've come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. His birth will bring you much joy and gladness. Many will rejoice because of him, and he will be one of the great ones in the sight of God. He will drink no wine or strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even while still in his mother's womb. And he will persuade many in Israel to convert and to turn back to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord as a forerunner with the same power and anointing as Elijah the prophet. He will be instrumental in turning the hearts of the fathers in tenderness back to their children and the hearts of the disobedient back to the wisdom of the righteous fathers. And he will prepare a united people who are ready for the Lord's appearing. Zechariah asked the angel, how do you expect me to believe this? That's key. That's where we're going to focus. How do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is too old to give me a child. What sign can you give me to prove this will happen? Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand beside God for himself. He has set me to announce to you this good news, but now since you do not believe my words, you'll be stricken silent and unable to speak untold the day my word until as was supposed to be, the day my words have been fulfilled at their appointed time and a child is born to you. That will be your sign. So you see this story, recap real quick, because you might have got lost in there. Basically what happens is Zachariah, he's the high priest. If you don't know the duties of the high priest in that time, this was before Jesus came down, died on a cross. So once a year, the high priest would go into this place called the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle that they had to do a bunch of customs, rituals, just to even enter into this room. And what they would do basically in a, this is not the expanded version, small nut, nutshell, they would offer like these incense sacrifices on behalf of all the people in their sins throughout this, the last year. Okay? And they, could, they were the only ones that were allowed in. They could only do it once a year. That was the only time they were allowed. So Zechariah is chosen to go into this place, the Holy of Holies. And as he goes in there to this place, an angel appears. Angel appears and he says, hey, what you've been praying for to have a child, this is coming true. And he's na his name is going to be John. This is John the Baptist, if you don't know. The forerunner of Jesus. He's the one that's going to kind of pave the way for Jesus as he comes forth. So he says, you're going to have a baby, and you're going to name him John. He's going to do all this stuff to help out Jesus. Zechariah responds in his doubt, how am I supposed to believe this? How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to believe that that I'm going to have a child. It's kind of the doubt that I had um, when we moved about a year and a half ago. We sold our house, and in order for us to put a 20% down on our house, we needed a certain amount of money. I think it was like $36,000, and we, we got thirty-three with our house. And so we needed $36,000 and only had thirty-three. And I remember we're talking as we're staying in this apartment for a month in between the houses, like how are we going to get the 20%, you know, we could borrow some from my parents and then we'll pay them back once we 
get it or we could um, figure something else. I know um, Bill, who was our realtor, he's like, we could figure out something with him if we needed to borrow some money. And so we're like going through all these things and trying to figure out there's just no way we're going to be able to do this on our own. We're going to have to borrow money. I doubt we're going to make this happen. And so we, we, we had gone out um, on our like front uh, sun porch area and I looked out in the mailbox and our mail had come. So I went and got the mail. And when we opened our mail through the day, there was a check that was like the extra money from like our escrow in our other house for $3,000, the exact amount we needed. So we go, we cash that check and we had the exact amount we needed to pay for put the down payment for our house. But, but in that moment, I'm sitting there like Zachariah is, we're talking and I'm going, okay, yeah, like we're gonna be able to figure this out without taking out a loan from somebody, borrowing money from somebody. There's no way we're gonna make this happen. But then God and who God is, provides. And so Zachariah is in this situation where he goes, yeah, we've been praying for years that you would bless us with a child. We just want to have a child. And now she's old. She's barren. She's not going to be able to have a child. How do you expect me to believe that you're going to bless me with a child? How do you think I'm going to take that, that you're just standing there after all these years that I'm just going to magically have a child that she's probably 90 or 100 years old? How do you think that's going to happen? It's very interesting. But before we dive into both of them, let's see another story. This is Mary. Mary, right after the story of um, Elizabeth and Zechariah, there's a story of Mary and how Jesus comes. It says, during the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Rejoice, beloved young woman, for the Lord is with you, and you are anointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this man mean, meant for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will enthrone him as king on the throne of his ancestor David. You'll reign as a king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this happen? Notice the different responses. How could this happen? I am still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the spirit of the holiness will fall upon you, and Almighty God will spread a shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy, and he will be called Son of God. What's more, your aged Aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. So now you flip to a different situation as we look at doubt. We see Zachariah over here. He, he's, he's trying to think this through. He's like, God, there ain't no way you're trying to give my wife a baby at this old. She can't even have babies. Then you got Mary on this side, who the spirit, the same angel comes to her and says, hey, you're going to have a child. And notice the different response. Zachariah says, how am I supposed to believe that? Mary says, how is this possible? How could this happen? Her idea was not, okay, I don't believe you. She's thinking logically, like, how am I supposed to become pregnant when I don't, I don't have a husband? I'm engaged and I'm still a virgin. How am I supposed to be pregnant? That doesn't make sense logically. Mary has a different response in her doubt. Her doubt seems to be more out of the logical, not the spiritual. She's saying, okay, I don't understand logically how I'm going to have a child. 
But 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 Zachariah's like spiritually and logically, I don't know how this is going to happen. Because both of these are the kind of the same situation. It's just that Zachariah is saying, in my doubt, I don't believe God can do whatever he wants to do. Mary says, I do believe that, that God could do things, but I don't know how it's supposed to happen. When you have a child, there has to be a man, there has to be a woman. We all know how that works. I don't understand that. So her doubt comes out of a place of the logical, where I believe Zachariah doubts both the logical and the spiritual, because he says, God, I don't think you can do this. Do you understand our situation? She's barren. And I think what's very often the situation we're put in when it comes to doubt is we sit in the shoes of Zechariah and we go, man, I don't believe God can really do what he says he can do. We're not only doubting the situation, but we're doubting the ability of God and what he can do. What does it say here at the end? Nothing is impossible with God. The moment we begin to doubt in our spiritual walk is the moment we don't believe it's possible for God to do. And so Mary says, I don't think logically I understand, but I'm going to trust that there's something there. Because if you see and you read on further, Zechariah, for his punishment for not believing, as the angel literally says, because you have doubted me and not believed my words, he couldn't speak till the baby was born. Mary, on the other hand, seems like if you're just reading, you go, well, she doubts too. Why doesn't she get any punishment? Because she doesn't get anything if you read on. She doesn't go mute till Jesus is born. No, because I believe out of her doubt, she still believed God could do it. But through the logical sense of how you make a baby, she didn't understand how that could happen. And as the angel explains, she says, okay, I don't know. And then he says, well, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and you're going to be pregnant. And this is how it's going to work. And Mary then goes, okay, I, I, can you imagine out of that situation, though, you would expect Zechariah, who's the high priest, in that time probably somebody that people thought were the closest to God. And he still in that moment doubts God, the one that you feel like would never doubt God. You want to think of somebody who should doubt God, you would think, Mary, how am I supposed to have a child and not have a man present? It just doesn't make sense. But there's something in her that saw God is much bigger than my doubts. That if I still have faith, even though I can't see it, I'm going to hope and believe in what they say is true and just continue to press forward. doesn't mean I have to understand it. In our doubt doesn't always mean you have to understand it. But if you continue to believe, God will still pull through and do what he says he's, he, he is and what he will do. It's okay. It's okay. We can doubt when it comes to the Christian faith if we continue to keep God held at a high standard. I can doubt and say, well, how am I supposed to be able to put 20% down on my house when I don't have the money, but I'm going to believe God's going to provide because that's what he said he would do, and he did. It may not always work out that way, but God has promised to care for us, love us, and be there for us. And so even in those moments when doubt comes to the surface, you can still believe God's going to have a way to pull through and be God because nothing is impossible with God. But I think in our Christian faith, the reason we doubt is because we don't truly believe everything is possible for God. It's hard. We can't see it. We don't know what to do. We don't know how God's going to pull it through. But it doesn't always have to make logical sense for us to still have faith. 
We just have to know at the very basis of it all that if you just believe God will do and say what He says and is, it's okay to not understand fully. It's okay to say, I don't know if I believe this, to sit in Mary's shoes. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm just going to trust that it's all going to work out. We need to get out of the Zachariah shoes and start getting in the Mary's shoes saying, okay, we're going to press forward. I may doubt, but it's okay. We just have to hold on to the fact that we may not know all the answers, but ultimately believe that God will be God. I think a healthy believer never loses hope in God. But I also think a healthy believer processes, thinks through the situation, and may say, yeah, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm going to hold on to hope. It's okay to doubt. I hope you can see that. I hope you can understand that, that it's okay. It may feel weird. It may feel like, how am I supposed to? But if you still believe in the God and who He says He is, and and believe that He's going to pull through, you may have doubts because you don't understand logically how it's going to work. But if you still believe that God's going to be God, you can doubt. So doubt in faith. I'll I'll close with this, and I'll let you guys go. It's just like when you look at something like this, you got this little piece of paper in this little circle. And if I sat there and told you, okay, you know, I think I could fit five books on you. You're probably going to look at me and be like, okay, Probably, I mean, I doubt that a little, but probably you could fit five books on there. And so then I start putting them on here. If it'll work. It's a little shaky up here. There's three. Four. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get them all, but... But anyways... It worked in my office. It's not working in here. So you put five on there. And you're like, okay, I doubt that a little. Well, then what if I told you 10? What if I told you 15? What if I told you 20? There's 20 books here. I did do it in my office. I'm afraid if I keep doing it, it'll fall over. But, but I stacked 20 books on there. If I were to tell you when I set this little piece of paper that's in a cylinder on the table, you're probably going to doubt. But in the back of your mind, you're like, obviously, he probably wouldn't do something that he is just going to fail. And so that's the kind of mindset I think we have to have as we look at life and we go, okay, you can doubt and say, well, I don't know if that's really going to work. But in the end, as you see it unfold, you're starting to be like, okay, well, maybe he can and maybe it will support that. I don't know all the science. I don't know how it supports it all, but that's what it does. It supports it. This little thing you can have faith in because of what it shows you. And when we look at life, we don't have to understand how everything works. We don't have to understand how all this pressure can be put on us with life that we go, okay, COVID's happened. What are we supposed to do there? We got um, racial injustice. How, what are we supposed to do with that? We've got um, different people dying, whether it's from COVID or the rise of mental health and suicide. And, and, and I don't know how this is all logically going to work, and, and, but I'm going to trust that God is going to be who he says he is. And so as the weight keeps piling, we start to see that, wow, okay, maybe it can hold. Maybe God can really take care of me and still love me, even though I don't know how it's all going to work out. And we start to see that it can happen. 
all we are sometimes is we just need to see a little bit like this to go, okay, I don't know how it's going to work, but I just believe God's going to be God. We don't have to understand it all. When we doubt, if God were to show us everything, why would we need God? Why would we need to have faith? Well, I know it's going to happen. We need to look at life situation like this little cylinder and go, okay, okay, I think, I don't, I don't know how it's going to work, but God's going to pull through. I don't know how COVID's ever going to leave here, but, but I'm just going to trust that God's, God's got it. Even though I doubt, I still believe in God and I still believe in what he's doing. And even though I don't understand everything, God is still going to pull through. Doubt in faith.